And I looked at my life and it's like, what are the boulders in my life that I'm carrying that I don't have to, that I'm trying to move that I don't have to, these things that are completely strenuous, crushing me. What if I just didn't pick it up? Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an exceptional guest to share with you today. I'm so excited. His name is Joel Primus, an entrepreneur, among other things, and a founder and creative visionary behind Naked Underwear. He helped raise over $17 million, establishing retail distribution at Holt Renfrew. Renfrew? You got it. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? All right. This is for a good <laughs> Nordstrom, Hudson Bay, and Bloomingdale's Naked completed a merger with an Australian based industry powerhouse, Benden Lingerie, exiting in 2018. His most recent company, Cosan, which he co founded, is a travel clothing company which launched one of the most successful Kickstarter apparel products of all time, reaching nearly a million dollars in sales in 30 days. Also, one of the inaugural BC business top 30 under 30 entrepreneurs, an author, an award-winning documentary filmmaker, and so much more. Joel, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is an honor to have you with us today. Thank you, Dr. Richard. Thank you. The only thing that I can't put on that bio yet, I guess, is that I am a nowhere near the chef you are. <laughs> so... I don't know. Well, we've had some pretty interesting conversations offline, and, and I think you could hold your own to be sure. But um, we'll have to do a separate food episode in the future. But today, we've got a lot of really cool stuff to talk about, including your new book that's out there, and we're going to get to that. But one of the things I love to do with people is really find out kind of their superhero origin story. What makes you tick? And, and I want to start with how did you get on the path that you're on right now? What drew you to entrepreneurship? Let's start there. Superhero origin story. There we go. The hero's journey, right? Call to adventure. It is a story that I've struggled with recently, and I'll explain that towards the end of the story. When you talk about what, what drives you, because my story, I guess the one as an entrepreneur began in the trenches of as an elite runner. I was a long distance runner. And, you know, in my early high school days, I used to run as many as 80 miles a week and competed internationally and was fortunate enough to receive a full ride scholarship. So I was one directional thinking that I was going to go to the Olympics. And then I blew out my Achilles and ended up losing my scholarship and losing my place at Canada's International Training Center. And it wasn't that I couldn't have recovered. People can recover from Achilles injuries. It was the mental exhaustion at the point at which it happened that it changed the course of my life. So 
I was anorexic at the time. Um, I had come back from the world championships and I had seen all these other runners who to me were thinner and fitter than me. And, and, uh, I all of a sudden started seeing myself through my own eyes as being too heavy to be an elite runner. So running 80, about that point, hundred miles a week, I, my caloric intake was like 2000 a day, 2000 calories a day, which is, I was burning five, you know, burning four to five. So I was completely sick. My body was broken and I decided it was time to, to, to not run anymore. And so I ended up hitchhiking across the country, trying to just get away from everything, got inspired to travel, ended up in Peru. And the randomness of this story was I, I literally desperately needed underwear in Peru. I had been on the road for a long time and all like I, everything was torn and I was like, okay. So I go to this street vendor and at all familiar with Peruvian Pima cotton, it's like the softest cotton in the world. And here it's a luxury, there it's a normality. So I got this like beautiful Pima cotton underwear. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so soft and beautiful. And I hiked up uh, and I you know, wore the underwear and I hiked up Machu Picchu wearing it. And I'm like, but it doesn't perform at all. And so this idea germinated in my head is how do I take the softness and the performance fabrics and make something so comfortable you can't feel it. And that's where this idea of naked underwear came from. So comfortable. You can't feel it when you wear it. And I, I literally a friend's grandma sewed the first pair and not four months later, we were on Canada's version of Shark Tank, which is called Dragon's Den. And I'm standing on national TV in my underwear, getting torn to shreds about my business valuation. So that was the moment in which you know, failure always asks us the question of, do we want to keep going? And that was a pretty good <laughs> moment. And I did. And, and the rest is sort of history in the sense that, you know, was able to make a go of it, you know, despite very uh, complicated beginnings. But the reason I say I, I'm conflicted with the story is because I realized years later when I was selling the company and I was I was depressed and I was anxious and I was, I was again, unhealthy and unbalanced that in actuality, it was insecurity and a lack of self-worth that had put me on this beautiful path. And so I was torn between whether that was a good thing or not, right? You know, the motivation was not from the, the right place, but it put me in this wonderful life experience. So, so yeah, I'm working through that right now. It's, it's an interesting thought to think about. I want to go back to the the dragon's den because I, I presume if it's like Shark Tank, they've got a pretty well-known and successful person who's the guy or girl evaluating you know, these businesses. And so it, it sounds like you know they said your idea would never fly and rip you to pieces. And so at that point, what was it that really made you decide to reject that feedback and, and press on because a lot of people, it's okay. This is somebody I really respect. They told me everything I believe is stupid and I'm, I'm going to go do something else, but you didn't and you chose to keep with it. Why? Yeah. Well, so just for the record, Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank is also on Dragon's Den. Okay. And, um, and uh, they called me delusional. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so again, it's one of those things where when we're young, and we're going out into the world, there is this sort of survival sense of 
proving ourselves. I have to prove myself in order to find a mate, in order to put my stake in the ground somewhere, in order to, to understand where I am in the hierarchy of other people. And it's an incredible driver. But again, it's, I believe that it is in part a driver of, that comes from insecurity, that comes from a fear of not having those things, of not being good enough. And so I had the mentality of, I'll just prove you wrong. I can't be stopped. I was, when I was a runner, there is nobody else in the race with you on your team. It is just you. And so you kind of have that lone wolf. I have, it's all on me to prove everybody wrong mentality. I think when, when you've been in the trenches of that sport and there's literally nobody to rely on. And so again, it was just, nope, I'm going to prove you wrong because my self-worth is on the line here when it's really not, but that was what I thought. Great answer. And so then once you made this decision to prove them wrong, how did you then begin scaling that business to where it, where it was when you exited it, which is massive? Yeah, that comes down to partners. I did have the realization that there was a lot I didn't know and I needed to surround myself with more intelligent people in every facet of the business. You know, it's, I don't need to, the shift was like, not how can I, Joel, do this? It was who can do this better than Joel? Let's get them in here and let's build out an all-star team. And that's, and that's what made the shift. And for me personally, you know, then you have to, you have to start letting go of those pieces of micromanaging your business so that your business can scale, you know, it's, it is impossible, I believe, to truly scale a business in which you try and micromanage every detail of. There's also an acceptance that because you're not micromanaging every detail, there might be things that don't go exactly how you want them to go. But is the whole thing moving forward, you know, with little pieces of damage along the way? And that's, and that's what happened with Naked, right? You just you let go, and then you, as the CEO, founder, whatever, begin to block and tackle where you can have the most impact. In the business's growth. Speaking of impact, you've now launched a new book. <laughs> and I, so I want to know, and we'll start with the title, but tell us the title of the book. And, and then I want to jump back and say, why, why this book? What was the impetus for writing it? So the book is called Getting Naked, The Bare Necessities of Entrepreneurship and Startups. And the title is a, is a bit of a double entendre company was called Naked. So it's about getting the company to a place of success. And the other side of that title is about getting back to who you really are and what really matters to you, which I have found is very easy to get lost along the way as an entrepreneur. And it takes the reader through literally the bare necessities from you know, when we, you've done a lot of cool things, Dr. Richard. And like, I always say that ideas land on our heart and so many of us are terrified to do something with them, but you, you're, you know, you're having tea your coffee your drinks with somebody and they're always excited to share their ideas. Oh, I have this idea. We should, you know, this, that, and then nothing happens. So it takes, and, and that's not a criticism, by the way, that's a very normal thing. 
And so it takes the, the reader from how do I actually act on that thing once it lands on my heart, all the way from scaling a business, building teams, raising money, to even as a CEO, sometimes having to step down as a CEO in order to bring on better talent and, and grow your business to selling the business, the whole nuts to bolts, the whole thing, soup to nuts, I should say. And uh, it's sort of, it's a how-to, and I also call it a book of questions because I believe the better questions we ask, the better answers we get. And as entrepreneurs, especially early entrepreneurs, we don't know what questions to ask necessarily. And in that sense, it becomes the book that asks the questions and provides the answers that I wish I had known as a first. So share with us a couple of those questions for somebody listening to this, because you've really piqued my interest. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, if we go to the beginning question, the first question could be something as simple as, do I want a partner? Or do I want to raise money? And then it dives deeper. So let's take the partner, or sorry, let's take the money raising example. Okay, I want to raise money. That's sort of easy to say, but when you unpack the raising of the money, there's a whole bunch of complications that I have found a lot of entrepreneurs don't yet know what that means. So I'm diluting my interest in my own company. I'm selling pieces of my own company off. And with that comes, uh, now I have to, to not only my own devices that I'm trying to, to build this thing, but I have to, I have boards, boards of directors, I have shareholders, and I have a fiduciary and personal responsibility to these people and making sure that I make their money successful. And they have a say in what I do, right? If it's, you know, public company, those shareholders might have a right to vote in the different things that I do. The board, the board of directors can influence the operations of the company. And so, you know, am I taking on debt? Am I taking on equity? Am I taking the company public? Now that I'm public, I have audit requirements, I have more legal requirements, I have filing requirements. And so it's about thinking those things through. And the answer that I, I say in that particular situation is, you know, don't raise money until you absolutely have to. Build as much value into your company as you can before you bring other people's interests into that and you become responsible for them. This includes love money, right? Family money, which is usually the first money to come into a business. Well, you know, everyone's always excited at the dinner table about investing in your startup, not thinking about the reality that they could lose every penny, not thinking about the reality of, well, we still have to have Thanksgiving together if that happens. And if that happens, how do I make these people whole? Right. And, and so I really, you know, I made all those mistakes and I just really want people to think about everything before they dive into something because raising money and, and, you know, selling your company can be a great thing. It can also be a very challenging thing. And to go to the other side, should I step down as CEO? Should I sell my company? You know, what, what are the things that lead to that? Am I happy? Do I still, am I still living the why, the reason I did this um, in the first place? Am I the best person to run this company? Or is it my ego that won't let me step down and let somebody else in, right? So there's, it's just really thinking about these details every step of the way. You mentioned, and I'm going to bring it back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, that Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. 
For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. There was some conflict with that your story because there were parts of you that were kind of figuring out. In writing this book, how much of that brought that to the forefront for you? And, and what did you learn from that standpoint that you could share with the audience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what? one of the things that's like really hard for many of us to do is speak about our pain. We believe that there is strength in ignoring it. And to an extent, that's true. You know, if we don't have to touch it sometimes, you know, that, that takes a lot of strength versus living in it. But I have found in my experience that when we verbalize our pain, or our challenges or our weaknesses, they soften. They lose some of their grip over us. And so in the writing of the book, it was a softening. It was a process of revisiting the things inside me that had maybe haunted me quietly for years. And then asking myself the question all the, you know, all the time, well, you know, why did it get to this place? Why at the end of this thing was I depressed? Why at the end of this thing was I completely riddled with anxiety to the point of almost not being able to cope certain days, right? Why had it, had it come to there? And so it absolutely opened the door enough to go see what was on the other side. And that journey, you know, for many of us takes us back to childhood takes us back to, you know, I I talked a lot about self-worth. Where was it in my life that I decided that my self-worth was entirely dependent on success, was entirely dependent on somebody's approval of me, right? Because at some point when I'm winning races and people are praising me and there's this wonderful little feedback loop that becomes a toxic feedback loop later on in life when you're not winning races and there's not, there's, there's not that praise, you know, coming to you. And so I had to go back and and I had to face a lot of those things and I had to reestablish in myself where I was, and it sounds kind of all woo and hokey and all that, but like that I was good enough without any of the things. And it opened the door for me to have an, a healthy relationship with trying to do that. Whereas before trying to do that would have felt like weakness and it's not done. That, that, I don't think that's almost, I don't, for many of us, I don't think that journey's ever done. I think we're always reconciling with that history and, or changing our relationship to that history, right? Cause you know, we look at Western psychology, we can, and I, Dr. I, I hopefully get this right. <laughs> we think about improving, releasing things from our past. We go back and we say, we can, we can improve our, our current situation if we fix these things through different mechanisms. 
of you know self-help. And then if we switch to maybe an Eastern Buddhist philosophy, it's I don't have to fix the thing. I just have to change my relationship with the thing. I don't have to look at it as something that is pain. I don't have to look at depression as something that is a bad thing. I can look at it as it is a thing that I have, but it doesn't have to be toxic for me. Right. So we can we can do it kind of both ways. And that's and if we put them together, I think that's the, the best recipe for our, our our healing. It's not one or the other. It's saying, OK, yes, I'm going to go back, but I'm also going to and, and work to improve. But I'm also going to free myself from thinking that this thing is bad, because if we think depression is bad, it only gets worse. <laughs> right. So I yeah, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but that's. Did I answer your question, Doctor? Well, it, it was great. It was a great answer, and you know, I would add to that. It is. It's not even necessarily in East versus West. It's about which techniques make the most sense for you, regardless of modality. Yeah. And I love the way that you frame that. And, and I, I did want to ask a, a kind of a spinoff question, and that's something that I've been told by hundreds of entrepreneurs is how lonely the journey is. And that often, you know, whether there's a significant other in the picture, usually the significant other doesn't really know the struggle or the journey until the big check comes or the business fails. Was was that your experience? And then this this road to self-discovery and getting comfortable with the pain that you've been describing did you involve, I know family is very important to you. Did you involve your family in that process or was this a solo journey for you? There's this great book called The Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a fiction. It's been decades since I read it, but it kind of romanticizes this beautiful relationship that you have with yourself and, and with uh, your pursuit as a runner. And, you know, it's just your feet pounding the ground and it's your breath and it's your own willpower, rain, sun, whatever, you know, going through the trails, running circles around the track. And so for a long time, I did really, I guess, appreciate or, or admire this idea of the lone wolf of the, the person who could go it alone and just be with their, their demons and their challenges and, and, you know, rise above them. And so I certainly started that journey finished the running journey and started the entrepreneurial one with that mindset. And that very much separates you from all the wonderful help and healing that's around you and at your disposal all the time. And what, and, I, and I've become to, to see, you know, entrepreneur, the entrepreneurial journey as a journey of self-discovery where the things that you face daily as an entrepreneur become mirrors where you get to sort of experience yourself. And, and what I mean by that is like, let's say I'm, I'm doing a business deal and I'm being very reactive to this thing that's happening. I, I can't stop thinking about it. I'm very frustrated with the, the person on the other side. Why are they making this difficult? And it's really a mirror back to yourself of, wait, why am I getting so riled up by this thing? Why am I not thinking clearly because of it? Why am I losing sleep because of it? And so we, we have all these opportunities on that journey to see our own triggers and our own historical 
our own history kind of repeating itself. And we have the chance to release that stuff through this journey. But it happens when we start to listen, not only to ourselves, but the people around us. And bringing it to your question, my wife being one of the loudest voices in the room that I wasn't listening to for years, up until the point in which losing her and our unit was inches away. And at first, you know, again, that history is like, well, you know, if you don't want to be with me, then that's your problem. But in reality, there's a relationship. So it's not just her problem. I'm, you know, I'm bringing (laughs) my, my stuff to the table here. And so I had to, to listen. And when I listened, I realized traveled 200 days each of the first two years of my daughter's life and barely saw her. I would interrupt them at the breakfast table, at the dinner table for investor calls with banks whose bankers I didn't even know, like just so desperate for their money, so desperate to to make myself and my business better that I wasn't seeing what was right in front of me until one of my best friends died. And I was in a hospital bed. I don't think I was life-threatening, but, you know, I was in a hospital bed with a morphine drip into me because I had so much pain in my stomach and in my head. And I'm thinking about my friend who's got two little girls and he's two years older than me. And at the time, early 30s, I'm like, this could be me. What am I doing? You know? And, and so that's the, honestly, the first time I ever heard her, really heard her, my wife, her words. And then we began the journey of healing the relationship. Can I answer your question? <laughs> very, very wonderfully. And I want to thank you for your vulnerability that you've shown. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to share what you've shared over the course of this last half hour, and, and I'm grateful for it. And I know everybody listening to us as well. Before we transition towards the closing, I did want to ask you some questions about uh, the documentary you made, your award-winning documentary filmmaker. So I'd be remiss if I didn't touch on that. Tell us, tell us about that. It's really a cool full circle journey for me. And this is maybe one of my strengths or maybe one of my weaknesses, but I, I don't believe that we... Maybe you're the same, Dr. Richard, where a lot of ideas in your head, you don't believe that they have to happen right away. And you kind of put them on the mental shelf and say, I can revisit this in a few years and complete it. And so with the when I was in Peru originally, I was filming a documentary about travel. And then I found the underwear and life took a big shift towards that business. And so when I sold the company, I was like, I want to go back to that project. There was a lot of turmoil in the world that we're still sort of living through. It seems to have not <laughs> transitioned out of. And my wife and I asked ourselves the question, you know, when our daughters grow up and they look out into the world, are they going to see love or fear? Are they going to have this fear of all other nations and people? who have maybe a different view than them or a different lifestyle than them or a different tradition than them, or will they see it all as 
through the eyes of love and see our connectedness as human beings. And we weren't sure what the answer to that question would be for them unless we took them traveling. And so we decided to take them on this quasi-global journey as much as my limited budget could afford and whatever, whoever would give us free hotels and whatnot. And, and so we ended up going to Lebanon, Vietnam, the Yukon, which is way up north in Canada, Argentina, uh, Colombia, and uh, many other places I wish we could have gone, but it was just, again, it was within the confines of the budget. And we made a film called Raising Global Citizens. And again, the idea was just exposing young children, the importance of exposing young children to other cultures so that they can see our beautiful similarities and, and not focus on our differences. Outstanding. I love that. We'll have a link to that documentary in the show notes as well if people want to check that out. So that'll be so great. Yeah, and so it's not out yet. We did ah, film, okay, okay. film festivals in the fall, but it will probably, I'm thinking May, will be the full release. Okay. Outstanding. I, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Very cool. Joel, I have greatly enjoyed sharing this time with you and the wisdom and the honesty that you've shared with the audience. As you know, I, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests their biggest helping, that one most important piece of information you'd like the audience to take away with after hearing our conversation today. Yeah. I love that though. I love that you call it a helping, (laughs) Dr. Richard. One of the things that helped me shift from, which I'm still doing, imbalance to more balance in my life was this Buddhist teaching. And I don't know the full story, but it had to do with, there's this boulder in a field. And I guess the teacher in the story that asks his disciples, you know, or his followers, you know, how to move this thing in the easiest way. I'm probably getting that part wrong. But the point is, if we don't pick up the boulder in our lives all the time, that big, heavy, immovable object, then we don't have to carry it. And to try and make sense of that, and I looked at my life and it's like, what are the boulders in my life that I'm carrying that I don't have to, that I'm trying to move that I don't have to, these things that are completely strenuous, crushing me? What if I just didn't pick it up? What if I just didn't do that business deal? Just that one. What if I didn't do it? Because it was such a pain. And the parties were all fighting and it was such a pain. What if I didn't do it? What if I didn't? work that afternoon? What if I took a Dr. Richard Friday and I just chilled with my kids instead of thinking about the myriad things I had to do on my agenda? What if I didn't pick up those, that, that those things being the boulder? And the thing that starts to happen when we don't pick up that boulder all the time is we become lighter and we realize that things still work out. Things still move forward if we don't pick up that boulder. And so I'm, I'm really trying to, in the midst of a book launch, I've been picking up a lot of boulders. <laughs> I don't think I need to, but it's a good practice. And it's one that just, it's a metaphor that I thought was really easy and it worked really well, works really well for me. And I 
think it can work for others. What are the boulders in your life that are weighing you down, crushing you, that you just don't need to pick up? Beautifully said. I love that, Joel. Uh, Before we wrap this up, tell us where people can get their hands on your book and how to find you online. Yeah, thanks. Joelprimus.com is where I do sort of the center of the universe, where I blog and share these ideas. And uh, joelprimus.com forward slash book forward slash is, is where you can learn a little bit more about the book and what people have said. It is exclusive to Amazon. Hopefully that audio book is out <laughs> when this is out. <laughs> it's, it's there, it's done. Uh, but yeah, it's exclusive to Amazon, Kindle, paperback, and an audio book there. Standing. Joel, thank you so much for coming on The Daily Help. And today, I loved our conversation. Thanks, Dr. Richard. You bet. And for each and every one of you who chose to take time out of your day to listen to this episode, thank you as well. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find this show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for someone else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag my daily helping because the happiest people are those that help others. 